just like that, and it's over too soon. How many love that song? Oh my goodness, you know, it's everywhere today, and the reason I chose that as kind of the bumper song, if you will, for our series on the Sermon on the Mount is because Chris Tomlin got those words from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it says a little later in chapter 7, when we get there, uh, it says, In you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will not your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so he is a good, good father. And good, good morning to you. My name is Bill Walker. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. If you're new with us, I'm glad to meet you and hope to have a chance to meet you afterward uh, over in our pizza with a pastor's time. It'll be in S1 right over here uh, at the conclusion of this service this morning. So we are continuing to journey our way through this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest message ever preached by the greatest person who ever lived, Jesus Christ. We're calling it the good life. And it is the good life because it is a life of following Jesus in loving obedience and doing good out of a heart that is becoming good in him. Today, we are in Matthew chapter 6. Please take your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. And we will continue on with this section called the interior of the good life. You know, um, this past week, I was very privileged to have received a tweet and I got tweeted by none other than C.S. Lewis. Now, now the challenge of this is C.S. Lewis died the month before I was born. And uh, so actually he died on the day that JFK was shot. So most of the world didn't even know he died. Uh, but so the, Saint, the Lewis Foundation continues to put out his tweets. So this past week I got a tweet from him who is dead yet tweets. Something like that anyway. Uh, but I thought it's so perfect for where we're at in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is what Lewis had to say in one of his writings. He said this, Christianity seems at first to be all about duties and rules and guilt and virtue. How many feel like it often feels like that? It really does feel like that often when you're doing this thing called living the Christian life. Yet he goes on to say it leads you on actually out of all of that into something that lies beyond. And what lies beyond is what we're talking about at this time. You see, we've been talking about stuff like becoming free from anger and contempt and sexual lust and disgust and manipulation and self-protection and fairness issues, grudges and payback. You know, we want to be free from those things, but we aren't, are we? We continue to wrestle in our flesh with the realities of being a peaceful person, a person of fidelity, integrity, and selfless love. So there can be all kinds of guilt that develops in this process of becoming like Jesus. And it, sometimes it can be so overwhelming, you just want to say, enough, I'm so tired of this. But what's happening? But what's happening is that God is leading us beyond ourselves. He is putting us in a position of absolute helplessness because there is somebody who lies beyond all the rules, all the regulations, and all the guilt, and his name is the Father. He is calling us deeper still, deeper still into his love. And so that's the section we are in these days. We have gotten beyond the instructions of the good life and very important truths but we're talking today about the interior of the good life. And as we talked about last week, it is really about the developing of a secret life, 
of holy habits where we learn to worship the Father in an ongoing way. So when we're at the end of ourselves and don't know what to do, it actually casts us upon the Father. And some of these holy habits are what we're looking at. Last week we talked about when you give to the needy in secret, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Today we're going to focus on when you pray to the Father, He sees in secret and He will reward you. Next week we'll actually talk about this thing called fasting something that the American culture knows nothing about, but is actually a, one of the wonderful developments uh, of the Christian life. So when you fast, focus on your life in him, and he who sees you in secret will ultimately reward you. You know, these things are referred to in many different ways. Spiritual disciplines, means of grace, holy habits of the heart is the way I like to think of, think of them. Uh, just over a month ago, I ordered a book uh, it was recommended by John Piper. And I thought, well, if John Piper recommends it, it must be pretty good. Uh, you see, what um, John MacArthur is to my brain, John Piper is to my heart. I love Piper. He's a very passionate man, a very wonderful man. But the book is called Habits of Grace by David Mathis. And it's talking about spiritual disciplines. And that's what we're talking about in this section of, of meeting with the Father. I thought this was really good, only a paragraph long, but it really helps to set the context of what we're talking about. He put this, put yourself in the path of God's grace. There is an endless sea of God's grace that we can walk in in the Christian life. He goes, these are steps of grace-empowered effort and initiative. It works something like this. Get this, I thought it was well said. I can flip a switch on the wall but I cannot provide the electricity. I can turn on a faucet at the sink, but I do not make the water flow. There will be no light or liquid refreshment without somebody else providing it. And so too for the Christian with the ongoing grace of God. His grace is essential for our spiritual lives. Amen? I mean, if you ever want to be a person of peace, fidelity, integrity, and selfless love, you're going to know that comes from the grace of God, not from yourself. And so if we long for these in our lives, his, his grace is essential. But we don't control the supply. We, can, we can't make the favor of God flow into our lives. But he has given us certain circuits to connect and pipes to open, if you will, expectantly. There is paths along which he has promised to give his favor. And those paths are what we're talking about here. The spiritual discipline of giving the spiritual discipline or the habit of the heart of praying and the spiritual discipline or habit of the heart of fasting. You see, these are a means to an end. They are not an end in themselves. And that end is God who ultimately changes and transforms our lives. So we are in this section trying to learn better how to pursue this relationship with the Father now that we know we can't do this on our own. And so today, we're going to focus in on this uh, second aspect of these spiritual practices. It's called, When You Pray to the Father in Secret. With your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 5 through 15. You're going to hear some of these words, and they're going to be very, very familiar to some of you. So, here we go. The interior of the Christian life, Jesus says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the who? That's right. 
for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, and they, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their what? That's right. You got it. That's all you get. So the instruction to us is, but when you pray, what I want you to do is I want you to go into your room, and I want you to shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. It doesn't work like that. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask. And here we go. Perhaps the most uh, memorized, the most repeated portion of the entire Bible. Pray then like this. And let's recite this part together. Many of you know it by heart. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And God's people said, that's it. Now, this last section is in brackets, even though it's found in some of the very earliest of manuscripts. Um, it is an, a doxology they believe was actually added beyond uh, what Jesus actually said here. But Jesus finishes this way. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses seems appropriate to pray join me father um, we are walking into some very familiar words and yet I pray that they might surprise us today I pray that what may have become something that we have simply learned as part of religious observance might actually become something that's powerful and impactful all over again so I pray today as we consider these words from Jesus that maybe we will read them all over again for the first time and we will see and understand what you desire. Help us in this relationship with you, I pray. In Jesus' name, our good Father, amen, amen. So we are talking about spiritual disciplines. Last week when we were together, uh, we talked about this idea of generously trusting Father, generously trusting Father father. And, and we talked about this idea of the tithe and, and, and being obedient to the Lord in this area of our lives. And you know, money is one of those things that is so tangible to us, and yet it's also one of the more tangible ways we can actually express our love to God and see God work in our lives. Last week, when I finished speaking on this topic, I had a number of people come up to me. And some came up to me and they said, you know, Pastor Bill, I thought I understood God. But when I started to actually obey him in this area of my life, he go, they said, I understood God in ways I've never understood God before. You know, I can learn to trust God for my eternal destiny, but I couldn't trust him with my budget. But when I did, I watched God do things that I just could not describe. Somebody else came to me and they said, my wife and I used to live in Alexandria. And in those early days, my wife would travel to Virginia to teach in a Christian school, and I traveled all the way up to Baltimore to go to school. And they said, we didn't know how to make ends meet, and we just didn't have a lot of money. He said, but my mother-in-law, 
asked me one time, she goes, are you tithing? He said, yes. She said, good, everything will work out. It just is how it works. I can't describe it. I can't even tell you how to put it in your budget line. All I know is it happens. And so this is one of those spiritual practices that God wants us to learn in our walk with him. And it's a very powerful and potent way. So I want to encourage you that if you have not learned this yet, to risk on the reputation of God and to step out and trust him. And I believe that he will show you himself in ways that you've never seen before. So we've been talking about generously trusting Father, developing this habit in our lives. Today we're going to focus in on graciously approaching Father. Today we're going to talk about prayer. Did you know that there is a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray? Something doesn't sound quite right about that, does it? To say that somebody's not praying correctly is kind of like going to somebody and saying, your mother's ugly. You know, you just don't say that. It's kind of, a, it's kind of like, who do you think you are? Well, you know, it's my mother, leave her alone. So, you know, it's something to say you, can't, you don't pray correctly. It just seems like you shouldn't be saying that. That's not sensitive to people. But I just want you to know, I didn't say it. Uh, I'm only saying what Jesus said. So Jesus began this section, uh, chapter 6, 1 through 18, with a warning. And this was the warning that we looked at last week. Beware of practicing your righteousnesses. These are acts of devotion, like giving and praying and fasting, before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is standing in front of this group of religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and, and the lawyers, and they were religious professionals. They just were. This is what they did. This was their craft. This is what they did. In fact, they were so good that they had incredible theatrics connected to what they did. Uh, the word to be seen in the original language is actually the word we get theater from. So these people were polished, they were skilled, they were, they were quite capable of incredible displays of righteousness. Last week we talked about how they did this display uh, when it came to giving, but they were also really good at praying, saying prayers. These people were awesome and, and just pious when it came to praying. And so Jesus tackles them on that issue as well. He goes on to say today, as we look in verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the who? Hypocrites. Hypocrites is a negative word, right? How many want to be a hypocrite? That's just a bad deal. Now, if you were in the um, theatrical world, a hypocrite is simply somebody who puts on a mask and performs a certain part and then takes off the mask when they're done and people clap. So a hypocrite was an actor. And so Jesus is saying, you must not be like the religious leaders of today because they're just play acting. Now what they would do is this. Uh, we know uh, through some of the writings of, of the first century that they would pray three times a day. These were set prayer times. It was nine o'clock, noon, and three o'clock in the afternoon. So it was the morning, afternoon, and evening prayers, even though it was nine, noon, and three. So these times were set times for the people in Jerusalem to pray. I believe a ram's horn would blow in the temple precinct, causing people to stop in that moment. And in that moment, they were to pray, pray towards the temple, but they were to pray. Now, what would happen is they would pray uh, some set prayers. And these set prayers were actually scripture. 
they would pray like Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, the great Shema passage. Uh, they would add a couple of other passages to it. I'll talk more about that in just a second. So they would not only pray the Shema, the great Jewish confession, but they would also pray something called the Shemanoah Esra. Shemanoah Esra, which means the 18. In other words, there were 18 other prayers used for various occasions that the faithful would pray. And so, they would pray set prayers at set times of the day. All that to say that Jesus was exposing Jewish prayer life that had merely become ritualized. The words and forms of prayer were set, and they would simply read or recite them from memory. And such prayers could be done with almost no attention being paid to what was being said, or they were merely routine in semi-conscious religious experiences. So, the religious leaders would plan to be in conspicuous places when that ram's horn would blow at 9, noon, or 3. So they, knowing that the time was coming, would make their way into the town, and they would probably walk with little steps because they're waiting for the horn to go off because they want to be in just the right place at just the right time. So when the horn would go off, ha-ha, it's time to pray. And then they would position themselves in extraordinary fashion. And then they would begin to pray to those who are watching. Notice what Jesus says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. The word street corners actually means the main thoroughfares of the town. They weren't looking for an alley. They weren't looking for a side street. They were looking for the most conspicuous place they could be. And when that ram's horn would go off, this is what they would do. Now, I actually brought my prayer shawl with me. That's what this is, by the way. It's a Jewish prayer shawl. Uh, they would normally take it just before they would pray. They would kiss it, and then they would put it on. Uh, I tried to put it on. I kept slipping off. I thought, eh, let's not mess with that. But this is what they would do at the appointed moment with pious words and, and tone. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Then they would connect uh, another part of the scripture. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I have commanded you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and soul, he will give you rain for your land in its season, in the early rain and the latter rain that you may gather in your grain, your wine, and your oil. And he will give you grass for your fields and for your livestock. You shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens and there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off this good land that the Lord has given you. That's just one prayer they would pray. Now, um, let me see if I've got this right. Prayer is talking to God. Preaching is talking to... Ah, ha, ha. So they would start off like this. Hero Israel! He's talking about me. And so what they did is they turned prayer into nothing more than preaching at the people around them. They, they were talking to God. They were talking to people. And so they were preaching to people. And according to Jesus, they did this that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their... That's it. 
You know, you preached for the eyes of people and the ears of people. You didn't even talk to me, says God. This wasn't directed to me. This was for the ears of others. But, but when you pray, but when you pray, Jesus said, don't stand on street corners. Don't go into the middle of the synagogue. Raise your hands up and look so high and mighty. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. In other words, don't go and put on a show. It's all about nurturing a private, personal relationship with the Father. This is a spiritual discipline of knowing the Father and spending time with the Father. And your Father who in secret will what? That's it. He'll reward you. Now, last week when we were together, we talked about what that reward is, and that reward is God himself. God is the reward. Because we see him working in through our lives as we pray to him specifically about certain things and he shows up, we know, oh my goodness, he hears me. He knows me. He's with me. And so God himself is the ultimate reward. And then he goes on to say this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. This means mindless, thoughtless chatter, which can happen by merely reciting things over and over and over again or simply by saying your prayers. You know, in many of the different religions, he goes on to say this, uh, empty phrases, as the Gentiles do. Uh, in Hinduism, they have these things called prayer wheels. And a prayer wheel is, is a round cylinder that's inscribed with certain words that are intended for a prayer to a deity. And then they would have dozens of all these prayer wheels in a row, and it is incumbent upon a particular monk or two to spend their whole day spinning these wheels. And in spinning the wheels in their minds, what they're doing is they're offering up this, this prayer over and over again to whatever deity there may be. And in Hinduism, there's 330 million gods. Whichever deity its ear catches the ear of, we might get the request we're asking of them. So it's the idea is if I can just yell enough, do enough that somehow I'll catch the ear of someone. That's what people do when they're devoid of relationship with God. They do everything they can to do so much more than they think because by their many, many words, they think that they will be heard. And then in Islam, Islam, of course, prays five times a day toward Mecca. And they are set, wrote prayers given every single day. Basically, it's, it's the speaking of, of um, their holy book. And then they also have prayer beads. And those prayer beads, they will count off and they will say this repetitious set of prayers. And so Islam does that. But again, when you're devoid of a personal relationship and the one who above you is so great and so other that he doesn't even pay attention to you, you're in hope she'll catch their attention and maybe they will show you favor. And so there's lots of mechanisms that people use trying to catch the ear of a deity in hopes that he'll show mercy. But what Jesus is saying is, you don't need to do that. You don't need all that stuff. You don't need all those words. Because he goes on to say this, do not be like them. Because what you're showing is you don't believe that you truly have a father who lives in heaven, who already knows what you need even before you ask. So what Jesus is doing is he is dealing with the reality of his day 
Prayer was for the professionals. And they weren't even doing it right. And Jesus was taking it out of the hands of the professionals and he was giving it back to the people. And so this is the context out of which these words come next. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is nothing more than a primer. This is what Jesus is using to answer the question, well, if they're not doing it right, and it's not just saying back set prayers to you, then Jesus, how is it we're supposed to pray? And so the Lord's Prayer is, if you will, a primer, a primer on how to pray. It's pray like this, not pray these words. And so he's giving us a basic structure. Now, a primer or a primer years ago was how you taught children to read. It was a simple, basic understanding of a subject. And so you would teach children, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's what the Lord's Prayer is. It is like saying A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It is the basic. It is a basic framework that Jesus gives to know how to properly pray before God in heaven. So let me just give you a couple of observations out of this portion of Scripture, and then we'll actually kind of bust it open and talk a little bit about it. Uh, observation number one. This is often referred to as the Lord's is the Lord's, it isn't. It's not the Lord's prayer. Seriously, it's not. Now, I know I'm going against 2,000 years of church history here, so I, I don't know that I'll win this fight, but that's okay. It's not really the Lord's prayer. You will find the true prayer of Jesus Christ in John chapter 17. If you want to know what it's like for him to pray to his Father in heaven, you'll find that in John chapter 17, where he prays for the glory that he once had with the Father before he came, and then he prays for us. So you'll find the true Lord's Prayer there. This is Jesus' instructions for his disciples. So in a very real way, this is the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's Prayer. In fact, Jesus can't pray this prayer because there's a request in there for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus never sinned. So this is not really the Lord's Prayer. Now, I guess you could say if the Lord gave it, I guess it could be called the Lord's Prayer. So, okay, we'll keep going on with that. But in reality, this is the disciples' prayer, how a disciple of Jesus Christ is meant to address and approach the Father. So that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is, I don't think this was ever intended to be recited in a group. Wow, did he really say that? Does he have any idea how many churches practice this? Does he have any idea how many uh, mainline churches or Orthodox churches use this every Sunday in their observance of worship? Yeah, I do, but that doesn't change my opinion. And this, again, these are my summations, but the reason I came to that conclusion is this. Jesus was removing from the Jews these set words that they were praying every week. I don't think his intention was to give them another set of words to just reiterate. That ultimately can become the vain repetitions because it's simply being said out of rote memory rather than being used as a guide to guide us into what true prayer before the Father looks like. 
So I, I don't think in, in a very real way this is the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. I don't really think it was meant to be spoken in groups like this. It was designed to be taught to people for understanding of what it means to pray. And then lastly, let me pick on the evangelicals a little bit. That's me. That's the camp I, I tend to aspire to and, and, and dwell in. I think sometimes there are some of us, i.e. me, who are guilty, me, of taking this portion of scripture, I did it twice, and overanalyzing it to the point that I have exegeted it to the point that I dissected it till I killed it. I have preached on this portion of scripture twice. And when I preached on it, I took what was simply 52 words, simply 52 words as a simple guide, and I ended up doing something similar to this. Well, let's see, uh, week one, this is the pattern of prayer. This is the person of prayer. This is the purpose of prayer. Over here is the program of prayer. Over here is, is the uh, power of prayer. Down here is the provision of prayer. Over here is the, um, the yes, yes, forgive us, uh, the pardon of prayer. Over here is the protection in prayer. Down here we have this, this powerful ascription, and down here is the postscript of prayer. 10 weeks, 10,000s of words. And I think in the process, nobody prayed any better. See, my concern is we can either simplify it to the point where we're just reciting it, which I don't think was the intent, or I think we can overanalyze it to the point that we actually stab it and kill it to death and that it loses its power and authority. So what we have here is a very beautiful portion of scripture designed to nurture our relationship with the Father. And it's beautiful and it's precious and it's gorgeous when it's used appropriately. So what I'm going to do right now is I want to talk a little bit about this prayer and then what I'd like to do is actually pray. There's a novel idea. Let's pray about prayer. <laughs> So let's begin by considering this in its cultural context as well as its actual scriptural context. The most prominent feature of the prayer that Jesus gave that day, the one that would have stood out in the minds of the people who were listening, there is one word that would have put them back on their heels because they had never heard this before. And the one word that Jesus gave them in this prayer that nobody expected was simply this word. It is the word one. It's the what? Our. You see, in our context today, we're like, yeah, move right along, Pastor Bill, we got that. But in the context of Jesus' day, him using this way of actually talking to God was something that no one, no one ever, ever did. We have uh, Jesus' scripture of his day is what we would call the Older Testament. It's uh, this part of our Bibles. In this part of our Bibles, from Genesis to Malachi, uh, the reference of God in heaven being Father is only made 14 times. Only 14 times. And it's always of the fatherhood of God over the nation of Israel. It was never a personal thing. It was more of a theological description. And every time there was any kind of real description like that, it was always Israel being a disobedient son and God being a father who's offended by that son. So there was never any real personal relationship between the people of God and God. In fact, the Jews of Jesus' day focused so much on the sovereignty of God and the transcendent nature of God that they wouldn't even let the Jewish people speak the name of God, which is Yahweh. 
they ended up taking two other names of God and blending them together and coming up with the word Jehovah because they didn't want the people to accidentally say God's name. So the whole goal of Jesus' day was to keep as much distance between people and God as they could. And then along comes Jesus. And then Jesus uses a word like this. This is how I want you to pray. Our, wow, no way. No way. Nobody ever talks to God like that. The transcendent one, the mighty one, the creator of the universe. Nobody calls him father. Except that is the word that Jesus exclusively uses of his relationship with his father in heaven. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, what Jesus Christ did is he mentions the father's name 60 times. 60 times, often in prayer. The only time Jesus did not refer to his father in heaven by the name father is when he was on the cross and he was quoting the scripture, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But right after that, when he was about to die, he goes, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So Jesus exclusively uses the name Father about his relationship to the Father. And so he was blowing the socks off people. Nobody addressed God like that. It seemed irreverent. It almost seemed blasphemous. And that's why it says in John chapter 5 and verse 18, these words, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even telling them that God was his own father, making himself equal with God. You can't do that. They were offended by his sense of nearness to God, because God isn't like that. And yet he is. This is exactly what Jesus was saying. Somebody said this, the difference between the Older Testament and the New Testament is that one word, Father. That one word changes everything. That one word is what Jesus came to do. That one word is utterly, utterly amazing. I love the way one person put it. They said this. They said, the whole miracle of divine grace is contained in one word. Father. Say it with me. Father. Father. Yeah, that's my mainism. One more time, Father. One more time, Father. Do you know what Jesus was saying when he used that term? This goes one step further, not Father. Yeah, okay. This goes one step further. <clears throat> Jesus was using in that day and age a specific term when he said Father. Now here in the Greek, uh, which Jesus didn't speak by the way, but in the Greek language, that's pater, pater, Father. But in Aramaic, which Jesus would have spoken, when he used the word father, he was using the diminutive. He was using the word that a young child would use towards their dad. And so the word father is the word Abba, Abba. Now, I'm not talking about a Swedish uh, band, okay? It's not that kind of Abba. But Abba means daddy. Whoa, whoa. Listen. Jesus, you didn't just take and demean the name of God by actually having people call him father, but you took it a step further, and now you're having them call him daddy. We can't put up with this. They were incensed that the transcendent one could be addressed in such a familiar way. But that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He is not just the king of the universe. He is not just the creator of all. He is father, and he's not just father, he's daddy. That's what this prayer does. It takes it out of the hands of the professionals, puts it in the hands of the everyday person, and allows them to approach the throne of God with the name Daddy. 
powerful, powerful stuff. And friends, this is what the Holy Spirit is meant to work in our hearts and lives. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to enter into us and give us new birth. Uh, Jesus put it this way in John 1.12, uh, but to all that received him, actually this is John who's speaking here, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become what? That's right, children of God, who were born not of blood, which is will of man, will of the flesh, the will of man, but of God. So the Holy Spirit is the one who comes in births in us, being born again as a child of God. And then the Spirit of God's role is we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we can cry what? That's right. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is a witness in our hearts and lives that God is truly our Father and we are truly his child. This is a part that the Spirit of God plays. So I hope, if you're sitting here today and you know Jesus, that you have this sense in your heart that you, don't, you aren't just favored by God, you're loved by Daddy. This is what he's talking, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This takes us beyond our comfort level because it almost seems inappropriate to say these things, but it's what God is doing in our hearts. He's drawing us into that kind of intimate relationship. Again, Paul said in the book of Galatians these same words, and because you are sons, sons of God, he has sent his spirit into, uh, uh, he spent, sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying in the word again, Abba, Father, Daddy God, Daddy God. And then again, I, I, I just love this. I had to throw it in, but it says this. Jesus praying in his high priestly prayer, Father, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as... Wow. Can that be? Is that possible? I'm a sinner, a horrible sinner. And yet, through the work of Christ on the cross and the inner work of the Holy Spirit in my life, God in heaven becomes, goes from being my judge to being my daddy. And I can approach him in an intimate, personal way. So this was blow-your-socks-off kind of stuff. Nobody anticipated anything like this, in it, but it is exactly what Jesus Christ brought uh, to earth through his work ultimately on the cross. What I want you to notice about this prayer is simply this. It's all about, say that, it's all about, it's all about, it's all about. Notice, it's his name, it's his kingdom, it's his will, it's his provision. All of it's about, every bit of this prayer is about the Father, every bit of it. And it begins with the Father's name, the Father's kingdom, and the Father's will before it ever gets to our need. That's purposeful. Because if we just barge into God's presence, we're told to come boldly, but not to barge in. Uh, if we barge into God's presence and just start blathering all these things we want without actually considering his name, which means to honor and lift it up, or his kingdom, which is his plan in this world, not mine, and, and his will, which I'm supposed to fall in line with, if we don't focus on his name, his kingdom, and his will, then my needs dominate my thinking. If we do this correctly, it's very instructive. Because all of a sudden, our needs change when it's about his name, his kingdom, and his will. So this is a very powerful prayer. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to uh, close the preaching portion by taking us into the way I believe this prayer was meant to be used. It's meant to be a primer. 
basic outline for the people of God to approach the Father of Father God. And so if you would, I'm going to have a seat here, and I would invite you to bow your head right now in the presence of God our Father. And rather than just reciting this thing called the Lord's Prayer, let's use it the way I think it was truly intended as a guide. So right now, with our heads bowed, in the presence of Father, our Father. I want you to dwell on that thought for a moment. My Father. My Daddy. Maybe you can envision putting your hand in the hand of God. Maybe you can envision climbing up on his lap. I don't know. Thank you, Daddy, for being so near and so personal and so caring to me. Our Father in heaven. Father speaks of tenderness. In heaven speaks of transcendence. Father speaks of intimacy. In heaven speaks of sovereignty. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you that you are Daddy God. And you are near enough to know me and care, and yet still great enough to help me in my great need. Thank you. Daddy God, hallowed be your name. Father God, I love you and I want to worship you. I want my life to lift up your name and increase your fame and your reputation in the lives of people you have all around me today. Right now, I want you to take a moment. I'd like you to think of some people in your life who need to know God, need to know one who could be their father. Maybe it's a spouse, a son or a daughter, a parent, an unsaved neighbor or coworker or classmate. Get their face in your mind. And right now, Father God, Daddy, I want you to hallow your name in their lives. I want you to increase your fame and reputation today. Help me to live and interact with them in peace, fidelity, integrity, and self-sacrifice, becoming salt and light in their lives. May your kingdom come today in and through my life as I learn to lovingly obey you, Father. I look forward to the day where you will come back and establish your kingdom on earth. But until then, help me to live today like a citizen of heaven on earth, revealing to others your love and character. Daddy God, may your will be done my heart and in my relationships. Help me to honor you in every thought I think, every deed I do, and every word I say today. On earth as it is in heaven. Just like what happens before your throne in heaven, oh daddy, where your will is perfectly carried out. Please give us today our daily bread.
not our daily meat or our daily cheesecake, but our daily bread. Meet my physical needs today, Father God. You know I have this health issue. Right now, lift it up to him in your heart. Talk to him in your mind. What is it that's nagging you physically? Daddy God, also, I have this financial need. Whatever it is, lift it up to him. Maybe it's the challenge of trusting him with a tithe. I don't know. I don't know. He does. Father God, your will be done in this area of my life. Help me above all to learn to be content with whatever situation I find myself in because your grace is sufficient for all things. Help me to learn to trust you more and more and when you say no, that I might grow. Father, Daddy, God, Please forgive us our debts. Emotionally, I'm carrying guilt and shame, O oh God. You tell me that if I confess my sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Father God, I confess my sin to you. Be specific about this thing. Own it. Confess it and turn from it right now. I joyfully accept your forgiveness based upon the sacrifice of Jesus. Although, Father, I know that if it involves other people that I need to forgive them too, as we also have forgiven our debtors, Jesus taught us. Father God, please help me to forgive the person who has offended and hurt me with their words and their actions. Because, my, because of my forgiveness in Jesus and my longing of communion with you, I forgive them. Thank you for that strength, Daddy God. Now help me to make this relationship right with them, I pray. Lastly, Father, I pray. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Watch over my heart and life today and protect me from the many temptations in influences that would draw my heart away from you. Keep me close today, I pray. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, that, my friends, is what that was intended for. A guide. A, a primer. A tool in our lives. A pattern to follow. That we can pray intimately with the Father who is in heaven. Somebody said this, the first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to make my soul happy in the Lord. And this week, I want to encourage you to spend some time in God's presence, and I want you to do me this, just as one outcome of this message today, one outcome. When you pray in your private personal space, I want you to address God as Daddy. I want you to address God this week in your personal place as Daddy. 
And I want you to see how it changes the way you pray and what your expectations can be from a good, good father. Let me pray for us, and then I'll invite the band to come up. And uh, yeah, we're going to close with a song. Uh, again, Father, thank you for these beautiful words from Jesus. And uh, help us not just to memorize them, to be able to recite them in religious activity, but help us to use them to guide our thoughts that often wander and our words which often wander. Help us to open our Bibles in our laps and to turn to this portion of Scripture and to use it as a simple guideline to address you, to get to know you, to experience you in our lives. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with us?